So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I could just go home right now. Because anytime you can confess the name of Jesus as Lord, that is proof evidence that the Spirit of the Lord lives in you. Because there is no other witness that the Father gives us other than the Spirit himself to confirm who the Father is, who Jesus is, and who the Spirit is. Continuously making intercession, continuously letting us know who we identify ourselves with. Amen? So Paul makes a case pretty clearly that there is no way you can say Jesus is Lord without Holy Spirit presence in you. Period. Then he goes on and he says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. Amen. God walks in different ways, but he's the same God who does the walk in all of us, the same God. So there ain't no competition. There's nobody who has a hierarchy than the other person. There's nobody's gift is greater than another gift. So you can take comfort that what abilities the Holy Spirit gives you are absolutely sufficient and tailored for you. Because this is a gift that comes from the Father specially for you. And for you to walk in that path and embrace it fully. Without having to convert somebody else's gift. Saying, I wish I was like that person. That will get you in trouble. Comparison is a killer. It is a killer. It doesn't mean that I stand up here and preach to you guys. That I'm higher than you guys in any way. It's just a privilege that the Lord has given me to build up the church. doesn't put me any higher than you are. Amen? It's a gift that operates. But the life source comes from the one God that gives it. The operation comes from the one God that gives it. For the edification of all of us, including me. Amen? Moving on. And he says this. Going to verse 7. All right, come on, iPad. It's acting weird on me up in here. So it goes on and says this. And so a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. They will say amen. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gave someone else the ability to discern whether messages from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one Spirit. It's the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So when he gives it to you, he gives it to you because that's what he wants to give to you. Okay. 
That, that should humble you. The fact that you have a spiritual gift should humble you. It should show you that the Holy Spirit likes you. I hope sweet Jesus helped me this morning. Amen. I love Paul. He knows how to lay stuff out. I'm not going to read all these other verses that come after that. But the next part that Paul does is try to still build it up. And he starts talking about the body, the eye, the ear, the foot, all that stuff. Okay? And this is what it goes on. If you go to same chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, starting from verse 27. It says this, all of you together are Christ's body. Okay? And each of you is a part of it. Each of you is a what? A part of it. So, let's check this out. If you look at your human body, right? You have an eyeball, you have an ear, you have a mouth, you got a tongue, you got a nose, you got a lovely beard. Dreads. That's right, then. So, can you imagine if all of a sudden your left hand decided to say, I'm anything about what the right hand does. So I no longer want to be a part of this body. So how is the arm going to actually detach itself and go operate on its own? How about if the eyeball says, I'm jealous of what the ear does. The ear keeps on hearing, but I can't hear. What do the ear say? Listen, I don't like that the eye can see because I can't see. Hmm? Then what? What sort of confusion is that? What sort of confusion is that? When Paul was addressing the Corinthian church, there was so much confusion that was happening there. There was so much competition. And crazy stuff was happening. I mean, people taking a whole loaf of bread and a whole thing of wine and going to sit on one end of the church and having a feast. And Paul is like, you guys crazy? What a war. This is communion. Ain't no competition, man. But can you imagine someone with a whole loaf on one side? Someone take the whole communion plate, and he's marching that side, just juicing all out. Ooh, ah, ah, ah. So I feel the spirit this morning. Ah, ah, ah. But anyways. Mercy, Lord. So. When Paul goes on and says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Each of us has a part in it, right? If you're called to be the left hand, just be the left hand that you know how to be. If you're called to be the eye, just be the best eye. If you're called to be the tongue, just be the best tongue. Now, if the Holy Spirit wants to give to you something else, he will, according to how he pleases. But that which he gives you, you need to cultivate that part. You need to go after it. You need to invest in it. There is no way of that gift growing in you without you making your own investment in it. It's just an open door to a deeper invitation. It's not a source of all. 
But it's for us to learn the skills so that we can know how to build up the body. So we can know exactly how to function that everybody may be edified, but the excellency of how the gift operates in us. Amen? I mean, this is for real stuff this morning. Mm. Sweet Holy Spirit, yes. So it goes on. It says, here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are the apostles, second the prophets, third the teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who can speak in unknown languages. He just says some, right? So somehow in the church has been preached that that is all that exists. But he just says just some. He gives a list all of it. There's many gifts. But he said, here's some that are visible. They're not as hidden. Okay? If you feel that you're the pinky toe, it matters. For this reason, if you've ever knocked your pinky toe on the side of a couch, you know whether it matters or not. I promise you. You feel like you're about to see Jesus. Like you just passing out. You're like, oh, Jesus, I can't feel my body. And just like, get over it. It's just your toe. <laughs> no, but gosh, man. <laughs> like my whole body aches. So it matters. So even someone chop your big toe and see what's up. See how you walk. Right? So if you're a big toe, guess what? You matter. You don't see my toes right now. Maybe you don't want to see them. But, but the truth is you need that toe to walk right. You need that toe to balance right. Without it, you're off balance. You're off kilter. Amen? Okay. Just saying. So it goes on and says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we have the ability to speak unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to pray unknown languages? Of course. So you should honestly decide the what? Paul is telling us something. He's saying you're not really limited to that gift that you just operate in. You can always ask for more, because he's the God of, and just like the talents, if you're faithful with the five, guess what the Lord does? He multiplies what you have. So Paul has given us a hint. He said, listen, it's not a restriction. You, you can have a beginning point, but you can have as much as you like. You're not just restricted in one end, but he also had to give a structure how these things work out. So that you can know that your place is important. You can operate from that place with absolute confidence and comfort. And absolute security. Knowing that you are important. Amen? Then it goes on to say, but now, let me show you a way of life that is the best of all. Paul keeps on laying this foundation out. He goes through the gifts. Where they come from, who's the source of it, what they do, how they're supposed to operate. Now he goes on. They say, listen, for all these things to actually work, 
the way they're supposed to work. They need to go through a different filter. They need to operate through a different filter. Here's what he says. This is 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I could speak all languages of the earth, of angels, but didn't love others, I'll only be a what? Nosy gong, a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I understand all of God's secret plans and possess all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I will be nothing. Mm. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I'll have gained nothing. Then he goes on to say, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. Is all as hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Yes? I mean, that's a pretty good foundation. That whatever you operate from has to come from where? Love. That is the anchor. That is the only filter for these gifts to work properly. Others that will not manifest the way they're supposed to manifest. I've heard people have the gift of prophecy, but Lord Jesus, you don't want to prophesy over you. I mean, they tell you all sorts of stuff. By the time you leave there, you feel like someone just threw up on you. Because none of them have any love in their heart. And because they have no love in their heart, they don't feel the same thing that the Father feels about that person. So when they prophesy, you feel it. You feel like it's a bunch of spears just, just got thrown on you. Or you leave the place and you feel more heavy than when you came in. That is a sign the Holy Spirit is telling you, ah, that was misplaced. That was not me. Okay. So prophecy and speaking in our own language, a special and special knowledge will become useless. This is, I know this all is controversial, but if you read the whole text of it, it makes it pretty clear. But love will what? Last forever. But it doesn't say that prophecy and all these other gifts will be obsolete, does it? But it tells you specifically the most excellent way. Anyways, let me just keep on reading. It says, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of a whole <clears throat> But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Now, let me ask you something. Which one of us in here can say we've come to that place of perfection? Which of us can absolutely testify with absolute conviction that we have hit the place of perfection? It says when perfection what? Comes. It doesn't say that the gifts will be obsolete 
At a certain point, it doesn't, let me re- rephrase that. It does not say that these gifts that are given to us, that once love has come into heart, then they're useless. But what we had before is that these gifts died way back when. But that's not what the scripture declares, is it? When you read the whole context of it. Paul is making a case here saying, listen, everything that we have right now is imperfect. We see in part, we prophesy in part. We pray in part because we don't have the whole picture. But yet it does not mean that we should not operate in those same gifts that we're given. It's part of learning how to walk with Holy Spirit and keep on cultivating it until you can see with clarity. And it doesn't mean on this side of this world that we'll see things without absolute clarity. No. We're all the same part. That's what Paul's saying. We're all as being imperfect. But until perfection comes, because in heaven, why do I need to prophesy in heaven? Why do I need to pray for the sick in heaven? What would be the use for that gift? So when perfection comes, meaning when all earth is gone, the new has come completely, then guess what? We no longer need those gifts because we'll be fully whole. But while we're still in the process of attaining perfection, in that process we need to operate in it and help people walk towards perfection. That's what the gifts do to help you walk towards that perfection. So that you can speak to your brother when they're low on the ground. He can prophesy and say, listen, I do see that you're going through so much trouble. But in it, the Lord is there. In your lowest place, the Lord is there. And here's what he showed me. Or oh, sometimes I might give you a specific word that nobody else knows. And you speak to that individual's life. And that is what they need because they understand. My father knows exactly where I am. He sees me in my trouble. That's the purpose of the gifts. You have the gift to make money. You see somebody else who's suffering financially. Guess what? Give them money. Because you have the gift for it. Amen? Okay. It says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought of reason as a child. But when I grew up, I put charges, things away, right? Now we see things, what? Imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And all that I know now is partial and what? Incomplete. But when I, when, but then I will know everything, what? Completely, just as God knows me what? So, meaning this. The Father knows us as we foolish should be. We don't know that yet. But he sees that part. Because only he can see from what? And from the beginning, right? He sees it all. He leaves us side time. So, we live in time. We don't see where we're going. And it's hard to know where we completely come from. But he knows where we're coming from and he knows what? Where we're going. So who best can get us there? Okay. Moving on. It says three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and? But the greatest of these is 
Love. Love, love, love. The greatest of this is love. Here's something that uh that this morning when the when the father was speaking to me. And he started tweaking my message. And he started saying, I want you to read all those scriptures. And the part that I want you to talk about really is a prophetic lifestyle. Now, when you hear the word prophetic, first thing we go towards is all prophesying, right? Mm. Mm. A prophetic lifestyle is this in really simple terms. It's doing exactly what Jesus did. He listened to the Father and went and did it. That's a prophetic lifestyle. You look at the, li- you look at the life of Jesus and tell me which part of it is that prophetic. From beginning to end. All of his life was prophetic. The things that he was destined to do were what? Spoken by what? Ahead of time. Psalms 139 says it's about us, right? You read Psalms 139? He knows everything about us, right? Everything. Everything. So if you want a really deep prophetic book that talks about prophetic life, read Psalms 139. It will tell you everything about how God thinks about you. So, even if you go back and look at the Old Testament, let me just put it that general. The Old Testament. Okay, we'll look at life of, let's look at the life of Abraham. Was his life a prophetic life or not? Completely. From when he had the voice of the Lord say what? Get up and move and go where? To a land that I will. What land was that? Do you know how long he wandered in the wilderness? Going back and forth between drought and stuff. Going back to Egypt, come back. And then finally, Lord said, here's the land. But all those things happened in a prophetic way, in a prophetic life. Meaning, our own lives are called to be that way. We're not called to just kind of meander and stumble around. We're really called specifically to hear the Father's voice and follow exactly what the Father is asking us to do. Where we need to go. The part that we need to do is just be open in how he wants to communicate that part. Okay. Let's think about Joseph. Is Joseph's life a prophetic life or not? Which part? When did God not speak to him? Okay. Let's move on to the next part. King David. Did he live a prophetic life or not? When did God not speak to him in all of his life? (laughs) Did you hear what she said? (laughs) Oh, sweet Jesus. Shall I repeat that? (laughs) I seen it too much. All right. (laughs) He he throw me off on here. So listen, okay, our lives are really meant to be a prophetic life. 
every step that we take, it really is an opportunity to allow the Father to really guide us all the days of our life. All the days of our life. From when King David was anointed as king, from when he was a shepherd boy, the stories I hear about him was what? He cultivated some of that by taking care of his father's goats and sheep, right? That's the way it was. Playing the harp and singing praises and writing hymns to the Lord. The Lord anoints him. And if you notice the rest of his life, he and the Lord were like in unison. Even when he failed miserably. Okay, I want you to know. Or Cindy's actually said, it was the only time David was not listening to the Lord or did not hear the Lord when he's on the roof. <laughs> That's the only time. But I want you to picture this, right? Even when King David failed, in that instance, right? Who in here, whenever you fail or sin, your first reaction is to run towards God? But that comes with cultivation, right? There's something in your heart that the fathers cultivate in a relationship that is deep enough that you feel what? Secure. That even when in your failure, you can do what? Run towards him. So with King David, with the audacity that he had, okay? He's coming adultery. He's murdered the husband, like plotted it intentionally. And he hears he's, gets a prophetic word prophecy that his baby is going to die and he has the audacity to go before the Lord and fast and pray that please don't kill my baby that is some serious and like seriously he didn't run away he went and said yeah I fell I've sinned and the Lord said you forgive there will be consequence for all that stuff but he went before the Lord and begged the Lord that he will not kill the baby The baby died anyways. And guess what he did? Got up, washed his face, ate and went to the house of the Lord. And, anyways, I can keep on going. Okay, there's one story after another, after another. When you look at, you want to look at Peter's life, prophetic life. Go to the house of Cornelius. Has a vision. Every place he was guided by the Holy Spirit. Where to go, when to go. Amen? So I want to give my own story. Okay? I, I got saved when I was 15. I went to church up to that point. My mom was speaking tongues. I thought she was crazy. When I was a little kid, I was like, what the hell is she saying? This is crazy. I thought that was my mom, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure anymore. But I was, you know, but I was a troublemaker. Believe it or not. I know you all might not believe that, but I was a troublemaker. The, the point where my aunts are like, listen, ain't nobody else can help you but Jesus. Man, that put the fear of God in me because I realized that statement, nobody else can help you but Jesus. And I realized that the hopelessness that entered my heart at that point. So I want to give my life to the Lord. And from that day, I remember actually the wrestling that was happening. It was a Pentecostal church back in Kenya called Nairobi Pentecostal Church. And I was in the, you know, they like balconies, man, because there's thousands of people. So they like balconies. So I was sitting way at the back. Yeah, as far back as I could. And man, this guest preacher comes and he preaches, powerful message, makes an altar call. 
And I heard these voices, if you go and you actually give your life to me, you will never regret it. So I started, got up and started walking. These long stairs, man, it felt like forever. And I'm walking, another voice came and said, listen, you're embarrassing yourself. You've been coming to this church for how long and what? Look here, look at all these people looking at you. Surely how can it be that by now you've not been saved? This is embarrassing. You need to just walk out this door and this will be all over. There was another door right there. And I remember just almost touching the voice said, I promise you, you will not regret it. But there's something about that voice that I promise you will not regret it. That was so tender, so full of love, that I could not resist. Like I just could not. And that's how the Holy Spirit compels you. That's how the Father compels you. Like he just pulls you in. Then the next thing I know, I'm down there, give my life to the Lord. And from that day, I just started hearing his voice just clearly. And from that day up to this day, that's how my life has been. And during that time, the Lord was training me. I remember this one day I go to church. There's another guest speaker, like a missionary guy. Preachers. Man, my heart was so tired. And I heard the voice say, give all your money. So I reached my pocket, man, and just dumped everything I got. When church is over, the realization came on. <laughs> I don't get home. And back home in Africa, man, you got to pay, you know, bus fare, you know. So I'm kind of panicking at this point. I was like, I can't walk all the way over there, man. It's like, it's like miles away, you know. Like, I can't walk all the way there. I don't even know what I'm going to do. And I hear the voice say, listen, go to the bus station. Don't catch the first bus, but do catch the second one. It's this color. It'll be a green color. You get in that one. And when you get this particular stop, why don't you get off? So, Yes. Sounds crazy. I get in the bus. The second bus, like it was green. Get in there. It drives. Get to this station. And I get off. But here's something that happened that was really interesting in the bus. Usually what they do is once you sit down, then the bus conductor comes around and collects money. So he saw me walk in. I'm sitting close to the door just in case. <laughs> it was, I, was still, I was still learning faith, okay? I didn't want to back myself in a corner just in case things got bad. I'm going to jump out of that thing. So he, uh, so he comes, he collects money, and there was a person sitting next to me. Gets his money, and the conductor looks at me and just smiles and moves on to the next person. Never asked for, for any money. So I got off the next station, and what I did is where my cousins leave. So they didn't even know that I was coming. I just kind of surprised them. Sure, hey, Sonny, what's up? I'm like, yeah, I just came, you know, chill, hang out, you know, da-da-da-da. I mean, I really don't know. I, I didn't even know I was there. So, so they feed me, we eat, good fellowship. It's time for me to go. And you know when you know that you definitely don't have anything, so you're trying to separate yourself and kind of so you don't get embarrassed. So my, cousins, my cousin insists that he wants to walk me to the bus station. I'm like, no, nah, you don't need to do that, man. Dude, I'm, I'm a grown man. I can walk up there. It's good. It's all right. You just, you know, it's enough that you fed me, man. I'm good. It's like, no, no, I really felt I need to walk you up there. So we wrestling. Fine, said, fine, fine, fine. So that's what we and we got close to the bus station. So, oh, man, this is far enough. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for your kindness. Da, 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 da. Still, he would not leave me alone. So the first bus comes, and I look, and I watch it. And I'm going, mm, I ain't getting on down because, yeah, I didn't hear nothing. So, so I'm still wondering, how am I going to get home? I have no money. So finally, after like maybe 15 minutes, 
My cousin goes, how will it feel like I'm compelled to give you this? He reaches in the pocket and pulls out 20 shillings and says, I will, you need to take this. And I'm being, at that time, I'm like, nah, man, I can't take your money. But instead, I'm like, gosh, I need that money. It's funny what you do with the human mind. You know? Pride is a bad thing. I'm like, man, ah. he goes, no, I insist. Father said, okay, okay, I'll take it. But inside, I was jumping. So I got, I got home. That was the first test. And then those several tests that happened like that after that. So fast forward. Here I am. Being in this church. The way that happened. The first time I came. There was a, I think I was the only black person actually. To be honest with you. I looked around and I said, oh sweet Jesus, I don't know what happened. Because before that, I was going to the All African Church in Maryland. And I was going, ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see how this one goes. So, worship gets up. And I'm like, whew, not used to this one. Byron gets up to preach. And I'm like, oh, definitely not. <laughs> I, I got to. We, 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 we need to find something different. He's not here. Oh, hey, Byron. <laughs> and, uh. And I'm going, whoo. So I said, Lord, where the black folks at? And Lord, they answered me. He didn't say nothing. So then the following Sunday, I said, okay, I'll give you one more Sunday. Next Sunday, this uh, guy, his name is Dr. Norman Yuka. He he's, uh, has a church down in Shabahidas, and now he's, in, he's back in Zimbabwe. He comes, preaches, and I go, I feel the African. Yes, Lord. Thank you. You answer my prayer. I will appreciate that. Came and talked to him afterwards because I was like, I'm going to go to his church. Came and talked to him afterwards. Hey, brother, if you want to come, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Just done in Charlotte. Come on. So I'm excited. I feel like Morgan Clark now the Lord has answered my prayer, supposedly. I get out that door. And as soon as I get in the middle of the parking lot, an audible voice literally said, if you go anywhere else, you will not find me. Because you've not been the place where I planted you. Period. Now, when you hear the voice of the Lord, it's a whole different. So everything shifts. And I remember, I think Rondo was walking beside me. I think she kind of came and looked at me like, you okay? I, I was speechless. Couldn't say anything. Got in my car. Larry, I was staying with uh, this guy's name was Dan Squaz, which is Andy Squaz's brother. He was kind enough to let me stay with him. Drove straight. That's where it's Corey's neighborhood. Drove straight over there. Did not say a word to him. Walked to just ran through my bedroom, shut the door, and cried for hours. Like, hours. I mean, I repented for everything I could think about. Even the aunt that I stepped in when I, like I stepped in when I was six years old. Because something about the voice of the Lord just unravels you. And you're like, oh, gosh. What else can I confess, Lord? Like, <laughs> so, oh, Lord, so for my prejudice, for being so close-minded. Blah, 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 blah. I just, finally after six hours, okay, get up. You're done. That's how I ended up a river life. So I'm sitting here. I don't have a job, by the way. I left a really good job, Maryland. And, uh, you know, that, this was the following Sunday. <clears throat> sitting on the back. Mary was sitting next to me. And I still don't have a job. I tried. I drove all over Charlotte. Matthews everywhere. No job. Every door was like iron bars and opening. I said, Lord, what do you have, man? Why is this so frustrating? And, uh... And at that moment, the Lord goes, you know, I'd like for you to teach. I'm like, mm, uh-uh. 
I'm like, I don't think so, Lord. You, you got the wrong person for that one. At the same time, Larry Faldo, who was the headmaster for the school that was affiliated with, with River Life, then gets up here to make an announcement. Say, we're looking for a math teacher. If you're interested, please come. And then Mary leans over and goes, that sounds like you. I was like, oh, lady, no. Like, don't be in cahoots with the Lord about these, you know. Like, like uh-uh. Like, I'm fighting it. Like, I'm fighting. I'm like, no, I ain't teaching. I said, Lord, just, okay, let's, let's reason. Let's reason. You say it. You say it in Isaiah. Come and let's reason together. So can we, like, reason about this? Like, for real? Like, number one, I'm Willie Shaw. And then number two, oh, dude, those are too many eyeballs. Then number three, I, what? What do you even say in front of people? Like, what? So, <laughs> so I'm in a panic mode at this point. So I, you know, me and Mary were not married at that point. So we go, we'll make a trip to New York so I can ask for Mary's father for his hand so I can marry Mary. So they go off. As soon as we get there, they go off somewhere. Man. They, they, they're gone for like an hour. I'm like, this is trouble. He, he might come back and say, heck no. You ain't got no job. You ain't marrying my daughter. You need to get a job first. So he comes back and he shakes my hand. He goes, welcome to the family. I didn't even ask. It was really humbling. I didn't even ask. And I'm sitting there going, what, what just happened? <laughs> so we sit around the dinner table, you know, I'm, I'm waiting. Like, I'm still holding my breath. Wait, I'm like, is he going to change his mind? Because I just, that was just way too easy, Lord. You know, and I'm cutting out a big story out of that because I don't want to weigh you people out, but it's a big story I'm cutting out. So, sitting at the dinner table, eating. And out of my father's Lord's mouth, he goes this way. He goes, hey, Marlon. I know you don't have a job, but have you thought about teaching? I thought I was going to spit my food out at that point. I said, you're everywhere. Even in his mouth. You're in his mouth about teaching. What? So, that's how I started teaching. And I've been teaching for the last 16 years. So... Yes. And even where I'm going to be teaching next, okay, because the Lord trans- is, has transitioned me to a different place. Even that, I've been communicating with Sue. The Lord gave me a dream before the school that I was in, before it shut down. Before the lady decided that she was actually going to close down the school, the Lord gives me a dream this particular night. I had no idea. This was down in March. And I'm like, that was a weird dream. And then I had this, oh, just to check my email at 3 in the morning. Who checks the email at 3 in the morning? Maybe some of you don't answer that. <laughs> so I check my message at 3 in the morning, and I just look at my email. And lo and behold, here's a message, an email from her. A really long email saying, listen, I've come to, after long prayer, I feel like I've come to a place where I need to step down as the head of the school. Now, she founded the school. Now, if she's stepping as the head of the school, you can kind of see that she'll find a replacement, no big deal. But the next paragraph down, she goes, and I'm thinking about selling the building. I said, oh, this is over. So now my wrestling was trying to connect that dream with the school. And the Lord said, how, how clear do I need to speak to you? And I remember talking to Luis. Luis was like, yeah. Talked to Byron. Byron was like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how many two-by-fours you need, but, but that, that sounds like about right. So, so I ended up talking to the lady, and she clarified. She said, yeah. 
I'm done. And the school is done. So I left in a place. Got to go back and brush my resume. And start all over again. So started doing it much. And I'm like, Lord, where do I need to go? Like, what is the next part? Maybe I need to just switch directions completely. The Lord gives me a dream. And says, here's where I want you to be. The same night I have that dream, my wife has a dream the same night too. You get two witnesses the same very night. And I'm going, all right. I guess I'm supposed to go there. I applied to that place eight times. Eight times. Sue was part of that journey. Eight times. And I'll get as close as a Skype interview, but not any other follow-up after that. And it was frustrating. And when I was just about to quit, like later, I was sitting at my house. I went and sat outside. And I'm like, first I said, Lord, I have put out so many applications. My resumes are everywhere, but nothing is opening. And you gave me this dream. Is it the wrong timing? What is it? I'm just having this conversation. And the Holy Spirit goes, reminds me of the dream first. And says, go back to the website one more time. So I go back one more time. They have four more positions. The Holy Spirit said, apply for all four. Okay, middle school math, JV head soccer, assistant head coach. I mean, not assistant, uh, yeah, JV head coach soccer, and then assistant head coach for another soccer thing for boys. And then there was one more other one. And it was almost like just, you're just throwing it out there, out of faith. But the Holy Spirit do it. So I did it. And lo and behold, four out of the two is what I got. Just when I was about to quit, just when I was about to quit, the Holy Spirit comes to the very right moment and says, do it one more time. Do it one more time. So here's what I want to encourage you guys about. The prophetic lifestyle is what we're called to live. Like, period. There is no other way to live the life as a Christian life. To be led by the Spirit is what the Father has ordained for us. He has not ordained anything else. He's such a good Father. He said, I'll give you a companion to be with you forever. He's going to be a constant helper. He's going to be the one that leads you to everything. He's the one that is going to tell you exactly who you are in Christ. He's the one who's going to tell you where you need to be. He's the one that is going to position you for absolute success, even though you might find difficulties. Nothing like having a word from the Lord and then going through difficulties after that. That gives you comfort also in the difficulty that the Lord spoke this to me. That's the whole point of having a nice prophetic life. Cultivating our prophetic life. So that even when things are going wrong, you can go back and say, the Lord said. The Lord said. And you can keep on walking. You can go back to that part. You can go back to that word. And you can refresh yourself again saying, you are in this journey with me. Even after eight times of applying in the same place. So I want to encourage you guys that that's what the Father is really asking us to come into. Like step into that part. It will be the wildest adventure you'll ever be in. I promise you that. The whole adventure about going to India, being with Papi Daniel, 
That came from a dream that Joyce Koshi had. Like, that's how that happened. It wasn't like I had this elaborate plan that I'm going to go to India. As a matter of fact, the confusing part was I had so many dreams about Brazil, but I'd never been to Brazil. Instead, I'm going to India. I said, Lord, wait a minute. I'm confused. Isn't that funny how the Lord does that? So going back to those things I read about the gifts, the special gifts or the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you. All those are supposed to operate under the umbrella of the prophetic life. They're not supposed to operate outside that part. Because for those gifts to properly work, you need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. So a life with the Holy Spirit is a prophetic life. I'm not saying a life of prophesying. That's different. Prophesying. Talk about prophetic life, meaning that it's a life where you hear the voice of the Father and you do what? You walk according to what he says. Whether it be a simple thing as a job, the Lord positioning you in the right place because you know that he spoke to you to be there, all hell can break out. But you know that you had a word from the Lord. Ain't nobody's going to move you from that spot. Who is? You have a word from the Lord. Come what? Come may. Whatever it is. You can stand with assurance. No, I'm supposed to be here. No matter what difficulties come. Amen? So, that's what the Father gave me this morning. Just want to tie those gifts. To that part that we call to live a prophetic life. And we call to absolutely exercise the gifts that we've been given. Like Sam is a doctor. That's a gift given from the Father. And he uses it to better people's lives. If you're a business person, that's a gift you have from the Lord. To help you not only know him, but also benefit other people. Amen. So live the prophetic life, a life led by the Spirit, hearing the voice of the Father and leading you on to where he wants you to go. That was Jesus' life. Jesus didn't go like everywhere. He went to specific places. How does he go to a pool of Siloam and just play, pray for one person? Does that puzzle anybody else? There's so many invalid people, invalids everywhere. But he prays for what? One. He goes to the well. Those rats that he would take, going through, like walking past the Jews didn't need to walk. No, no Jewish man should walk that path. But he walked, going to Galilee. It was like taboo. Or going to all these places where he was like, oh, to the Samaritan woman. This all, all this stuff was taboo. But he went because the father said, I want you to go there. Goes, meets a Samaritan woman, prophesied over her. A whole village gets saved. Prophetic trail. Prophetic trail. Or places that he goes. The pressure is off. This is the last thing I'll say. The pressure is off. When you feel like you have to do everything, that don't seem like the Lord to me. Because the Lord directs you a certain way. His yoke is easy. And either that is true or not, it can be both. 
So if he gives you that yoke to carry, he's carrying it with you. He said, God, partner with me so I can show you how to walk as I did. How to listen to the Father as I did. Now let's stand up. That's it. Let's stand up. So I just want to pray for prayer of impartation. Is that okay? Just to hear the Father's voice. That's all the prophetic life is. Just hearing the Father's voice. In that simple part. That will require you to invest time to know the Father. That's the truth. It will require... It will require an investment on your part to cultivate a relationship with the Father so that when He whispers, you know where to run. Otherwise, it's hard to really know. No, does it make sense? But when you know Him, you can absolutely walk in those paths. Amen? So, Father, just thank you for this time, thank you for this opportunity. And Father, I just release your very voice to go into their spirits, Father. To go into all of our spirits, Father, in such a magnificent way that we collectively will start knowing you deeply, Father. Knowing your voice intimately, Father. Knowing your heart deeply, Father. That we may walk in the ways that you have suggested for us. That we may walk in the paths that you've set for us even before the foundations of the earth were created. That you made us for great workmanship. To your glory, Father. So Holy Spirit, seal these words in all our hearts. Now from this day that when we walk, we'll walk hearing your voice. In everything that we do, Father. Whether it be in our jobs, in our families, in our relationships. Let us be in a place where we can hear you clearly, Father. Amen.